My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. And we're back. Welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. My co-host, Jason Bryant. The always brilliant is on assignment today, but he wanted to tell you both that he looks forward to seeing you in the future. You know how much he loves you, oh, and geez. he's uh, sad that he couldn't be here today. That said, I'm super excited for today's show. Uh, we have two leaders with a tremendous transformational stories of resilience, social impact, entrepreneurial leadership, and they're currently in the great business of transforming lives and healing communities. It's great to have you both here. I like to do a little formal induct- introduction before we uh, break the ice and have some fun. But I thank you both from, for driving from the Bay Area to the, uh, to uh, Darling New Media Podcast Studio this morning to be in studio with us ver- versus uh, StreamYard or Zoom like we sometimes do. <laughs> but uh, we have uh, Crop Organizations, uh, former uh, Director of Business Development, former direct Executive Director, and then also Crop Organizations, Ken Oliver, and then also Crop Organizations' newest uh, addition to the team. Well, maybe not the newest, but there are new Executive Director, Tara Laura Harper. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Uh, so let's start off with uh, the the famous Ken Oliver. Okay. <laughs> uh, I love this brother. All right. Uh, let's see. So Ken Oliver, like I shared, he's the former director of uh, business development and executive director at Crop Organization. Today, he is the executive director at Checker Foundation and co-chairman of Crop's board. And um, Ken was incarcerated for over 25 years, including spending eight years in solitary confinement, a story that I still want to capture on this show at a later date. Uh, today, he is approximate leader in the criminal justice reform movement. He is uh, committed to reentry architecture, workforce development, and inclusive impact strategy. He's passionate about leveling the playing field to maximize potential and possibility for justice-involved people. Ken is a solution-driven and he's solution-driven and adamant about. I like what he says kicking down doors of access to tech and desegregating opportunity, the future of work and economic mobility for marginalized communities. As a servant leader, he approaches this work with an insistence on human-centered solutions and embraces our community's most pressing challenges. There's not a conversation that Ken can't have. And as some of you know who've been following the show for a long time, some of our followers out there, Ken used to be the host of uh, the Prison Post Policy Hour. And uh, so that's still a possibility. He got a little busy with uh, <laughs> all the work that he was doing there, but uh, still a policy genius. Uh, welcome back, brother. Great to have you on the show. Appreciate you. I'm honored and humbled as always, Rich, to be here with you and to be in your presence and the way that you put it down. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I'm excited about today. And then there's Tara. Tara. Tara Lawyer Harper. Today, today, Tara is Crop Organization's new executive director. She was previously an associate director at Impact Justice. At Impact Justice, she did some amazing things. Tara developed and led the organization's groundbreaking homecoming project, a $3.5 million housing innovation a project that impaired people, that paired people with that paired people returning home after long prison sentences with welcoming community hosts and received national and state recognition for her innovation uh, and impact in the Bay Area. Tara is a young professional of color fellow with the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform and alumnus Next Generations fellow uh, with the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice and a formerly elected chairperson for the Beyond Incarceration Program inside CDCR's Central California Women's Facility where she spent 
15 years incarcerated, during which time she became a certified peer health educator, drug and alcohol counselor, earned several bachelor's degrees, and started a national nonprofit to provide correspondence courses to people incarcerated in prisons. I've gotten to know Tara over the last three months, and I can tell our audience that our team is excited to have her as our new executive director. She's passionate, ambitious, innovative, uh, what else? Solution-oriented, forward-thinking, and uh, definitely a social connector and networker. She's warm, attentive, um, and a fellow Sagittarius. <laughs> What's up? Uh, she has a strong moral compass, is a courageous woman. She's professional, articulate, in my opinion, a born leader. And she takes pride in her efforts with great energy and focus. Our team loves how you take and offer feedback. You're driven by your purpose with all and with all the things that you do. You still find um, time to invest in the best of all things, your family, your friends, your work, and your community. Welcome to the Prison Post, Tara. Thank you so much. That was that was incredible. I did not expect that. All right. Well, I appreciate it so much. I'm privileged to serve my community and make everyone proud. That's what's up. And, uh, you know, uh, as much as you and Ken do, um, you guys could get some uh, good rest in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, we keep hearing about this rest to come. But uh, these guys uh, are just so hardworking. So committed and passionate. Um, we'll probably lose a few years of our life uh, from the lack of sleep. But I want to say this. We're going to make an impact, leave a dent in this world with our time and with our talents because we love people and we love our formerly incarcerated and incarcerated brothers and sisters and want to change the narrative for what it's like for them to come home. Now, uh, Ken, uh, so me and you got out of um, being incarcerated probably a few months apart. I had my reentry challenges and you had some as well. Um, would you uh, tell us a little bit about the story of how you first met Tara and sure. how that was connected to some of your reentry challenges? Sure. So it's, it's so interesting to come back full circle with stories in, in life, right? Um, you know, two and a half years ago, I got out and was told that I had to come to the Bay Area in California. I'm from Los Angeles, as most people know. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived, I went into probably the most difficult reentry situation that I could imagine um, outside of being homeless. Um, I was put into a place where it was a substance abuse facility and placed into a room with five other individuals that I did not know that hadn't served time in prison before. And their trajectory in life was just very different than where I thought I was going to be going coming out of prison. It was supposed to be the happiest moment in my life to be right. free after serving 24 plus years. And it quickly became a mirror of prison. I felt like I was in prison, even though I just got released. Yeah. And after about a week and a half, my former um, partner, she knew Tara and worked for a big organization that was involved with formerly incarcerated people and said, you know, let's try to get you out of there and called Tara. And I had the privilege of meeting Tara on a phone call. She was working at Impact Justice, as you mentioned, trying to get people housing. But unfortunately, because of the way I was released from the court after a court petition, Tara's organization didn't have funding for people who got out of prison, which is another policy issue we can talk about another day, mm -hmm. right? And Tara knew this attorney named Kate Chatfield, who was involved with Prop 1437 or AB 1437, mm -hmm. which, you know, Jay and Matt uh, participated in. And she had a house in West Oakland where, you know, some of the top people in our field who get out of prison and are successful, Erline from uh, Ear Hustle yeah. um, and others were living there. And, and Kate's philosophy was, I have this house. I don't live there. There's no program expectation. I believe men should be men. And I'm going to let you guys live and do what you want. Just don't burn my house down. <laughs> and so there, were, so there were four rooms and there were three guys. 
right? And and she gave us a key and, and said, That's awesome. you guys do what you do. And so to be free, I was met with someone who gave me freedom. And so, you know, I, I always remember Tara. I followed Tara for that. I was impressed with Tara from the very beginning. That was in 2019. Mm. Um, and so that's how we met. Yeah. Do you remember that, Tara? I do. And I just remember wanting to ensure that our network of housing providers was full and complete to be very inclusive of all individuals, no matter what their circumstances. And so I was grateful for some of that early on work and building out that partnership network with various different other housing providers, which is how I met Kate and which was how I was able to refer um, Ken to have safe housing because he deserved it. He needed it. And you saw just how valuable that was early on because it set your foundation up so you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep at. You don't have to worry about are you going to be safe. You can really focus on your trajectory for your next second chance and and thrive. That's right. That's awesome. And uh, Ken Ken has that Rolodex in his mind. that uh, So three months ago, uh, fast forwarding, three months ago, Ken uh, has been our had been our executive director. We've been uh, working with crop organization for the last three years out here. And, um, you know, he had an amazing opportunity at Checker. He asked us to come to breakfast out here uh, on a Sunday morning pretty early. And he has some uh, <laughs> uh, some information for us. And it turns out, you know, as the ball is rolling and and, uh, and he says, uh, you know, guys, I got an opportunity. Um, but I but I don't want to leave you uh, not in good hands. And there's somebody. Sure. Her name's Tara Laura Harper. She's a, she's a, we got to go to breakfast with her. We got to go to breakfast with her. That's right. She could be uh, the next executive director of crop. Now we've all, we've always been male only, right? Cause uh, mainly because we're in a male prison is where we started and then out here, a team of buddies. Um, but we were never opposed to, to having women. And then all, I hear about Tara. I said, well, we're, let's do it. Yeah. So we're at breakfast the next week. Would you share a little bit about that? Sure. Story? Well, I'd like to set the table if you don't mind, Rich, just it. a little bit, because what, most of you don't know, and, and you know this, Rich, from knowing me, that that I always have stuff going on behind the scenes trying to build yep. crop into a, a, a beast of social impact. Yep. And I had re- Tara was at our first um, cohort introduction that we did last March. Kickoff. Right, the kickoff oh, event. Really? And a lot of people don't even know that she was in the audience and, and came to support us and, and, and what we were doing. On the Zoom call? On the Zoom mm-hmm. call, right? Okay. You remember that? That was a year, about a year ago, about 90 right? 90 people it, showed it, up. It, it, were she you the, was she the one that said, where's all the women at? No, no, she, was, <laughs> she wasn't that one. But I did give Tara a shout out that day for being yeah. there. And what most of you don't know, just because I didn't have an opportunity to share it, I called Tara and I said, Tara, we're going to need a housing director at CROP to run the campus, to run what's going on in LA, and to really build out an infrastructure for once people graduate doing what she does, matching people to homeowners, but we want to match people to housing providers where people can get the key to their own apartment. The key is independence, right? Right. And, you know, Tara went back and forth and, you know, talked to me a little bit about what I could pay her. And, and so we, we kind of agreed that, that in the future, when we were ready to pull the trigger, Tara was going to come over and be our housing director. Right. So I'd already had that like relationship okay. locked in because I knew how valuable she was in the right. housing uh, space. And so when the, when the opportunity to head Checkers Foundation came up, and I started thinking about it. There's no way that I could have created something that could have been a possible problem without offering a solution. Absolutely. And when I thought about the landscape of California criminal justice reform and all of the different people that we know, Rich, I racked my brain for like three, four nights about who possibly could step in and provide the type of leadership to take crop to the next level. 
And the list was very short. When I say very short, I mean like one or two people. And yeah. I kept coming back. It kept pulling me back to Tara. I kept seeing her face and her smile. And I remember her articulation. I've seen her on several webinars, several of events. And I said, you know what? I think Tara might be the only person that can handle the breadth yeah. of what we were trying to do because a lot of people see you and it looks so easy on the front, but this is really like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. We have a yeah. whole lot of things going on. We got a whole lot of things to be my favorite movie. But yeah. <laughs> another podcast for another time. Right, so she was, she was, yeah. she was the only person. So, you know, when I, I first drove up to see Ted um, and talked to Ted and told him a little bit about Tara and I said, I'd love to be able to like bring her up to breakfast to meet the fellows. And, 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 you know, we had breakfast first and then brought her up to meet you guys. And, and, you know, you guys fell in love. I think, yeah, day one. Love it for um, sight, and the rest—the <laughs> rest is history. So I—I re I remember thinking like, okay, it was another early Sunday morning breakfast. Me and my wife like to <laughs> normally uh, rest on Sunday, but here we are. And uh, but I was thinking, um, I was excited to meet you, and I was also listening for your story, your leadership style, um, and your vision for crop and coming in. And I remember walking away feeling like, man. Um, it was interesting that you said you had older brothers um, <laughs> because it just fit right in. Like sometimes the older brothers need an older sister to, to uh, lead them or, or you just fit right in like like family, like a sister. I loved your authenticity, loved your story and the way that you talk with us and share with us. And, um, you know, um, the rest is the rest is uh, history. But uh, we can get into that a little bit. Ken, um, you, you shared recently uh, in a quote that Tara's dynamic personality and strategic thinking brings value to the leadership team that will help crop succeed for years to come. Why not tee up a little bit about like the last year, what is to come? Because um, this will be one of the first shows early on. We did on episode three of the prison sure. post. We laid out the vision, you know, right. um, early on of um, the four pillars. Right. That's right. And then now this is all about to uh, uh, come to come to pass. Yeah. Before, I even get into it. I just want us to give pause for the, the moment, Rich, because we've come a long way since that podcast oh, yeah. in October, I think, of 2020. And I think at that time, you know, we were sitting around Ted's kitchen table and we had a lot of ideas. We had a lot of passion. And at that point in time, I think it was just more a vision, yeah. but nothing had come into fruition yet. And so from that time of that podcast, we went to work. Because, you know, vision without implementation of even um, the idea will, will, will leave you short. And we started building relationships. The CNN episode came out where Jason was brilliant. You know, we call him Mr. Hollywood now. Um, we got a lot of traction from doing some policy work and some ideas. And they had the opportunity to meet the governor. Um, we started thinking about whether we could get funding from the California legislature. We co-sponsored a couple bills um, AB 328 and AB 628. And then we started building relationships. We built relationships with Google. We built relationships with Microsoft and did a lot of work with Octar at the University of Washington. Oracle. Right, Oracle. LinkedIn. We did, LinkedIn. We did stuff with Stanford University. And, and really what we did as we put these relationships together and the idea became to form, we took that to the legislature. And... We talked really about three things that I think is important in this field. We talked about first, the importance of proximity and proximate leadership and how people who with lived experience across the sector, not just with formerly incarcerated people across all areas of social impact should be the ones at the table 
and mm-hmm. probably should be the ones leading. And then I think the second thing we talked about that resonated with the legislature this year was the future of work. And as you know, I did some future work stuff with the governor's office before I came to crop and started really talking about how do people like Richard Morales and Jason Bryan and Matt and Ted and, and, and Tara get into the knowledge-based economy and the technology-based economy, because oftentimes most of our folks are pushed into labor, low wage, et cetera, right. and so forth. And I think that that resonated with the legislature. And I think the third yeah. thing we talked about that ultimately got us over the hump was human-centered and holistic solutions for social problems and how we need to get away from the siloed nature of reentry, where we really set people up to fail and really model reentry kind of like Job Corps for formerly incarcerated people where we, there's a transition period where we have safe house, dignified housing. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, dignified housing for all those listening means your own room and your own bathroom. Um, training, digital literacy and all the different things that we ended up uh, teaching. And the legislature believed in us. Yep. And, and I think that for me, what's so humbling is the state of California is the first state that we know of that gave five guys who all got out of Soledad, not more than at that time, two and a half years. You were, you were the oldest at two and a half years and gave us, you know, close to $30 million to build out an innovative reentry program like this country has never seen. And so for us to have that opportunity was humbling and amazing. I remember you, when we had our first call, you were, you know, you were like, you know, we were doing, we were all doing this and we were just, we were elated. Right. I mean, you know, Ted, you know, doesn't get emotional. He was emotional and, you know, Kelly was crying and we just had a, yeah. a great time understanding what was in front of us. And so the opportunity is historic. And I think that we set the stage. It's, it's up to us to set the stage for all directly impacted people that's right. in the future. Um, and so that's why I think that Tara, um, who has the vision key who has the implementation background with programming and understanding how to work with people and leading um, is so apropos for this particular position and this job uh, as a, as a young fierce leader in the space. I think that, you know, I think she's the person. So that's kind of how we got there. Um, It was a long road, but I couldn't be more happy. And now that I've moved over to the board, I'm happy to still be able to work with you and Jason and Matt and Ted and the rest of the team, and especially Tara, to help set strategic vision for how we can not only do what we're doing now, but create a whole new foundation for all the directly impacted people that come out of prison and create safe spaces for them to be able to thrive and set their lives up for success. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, what's next Uh, in in terms of... um, um, well, I know we have a press release coming up at the at the Capitol on March eighth. We do, and uh, we can unpack a little bit of, of the rest of the program. But um, in light of what Ken shared, um, now the vision was big. The vi- like I've been around Ted for uh, Ted Gray, who's original uh, co-founder and uh, executive director of Crop. This guy's a visionary. He brings in Ken. He's a visionary. I'm just crazy enough to just go along with these guys. <laughs> what if they say we can do it, we can do it. My vision's never been that high. I, I, I don't believe in the ceiling anymore that, that I used to believe exists. And they say we can do it, we can do it. And then it came about. And then now, the implementation. <laughs> right. And this is where the fun begins, right? This is when you get to pick out color schemes and get to put up all your public figures and move things around and really design. Um, and I think that that is really 
something that's natural to me is, is program development. Um, I didn't realize I had this talent until back in 2012 at CCWF when the warden was going to dissolve one of the inmate leisure time activity groups. And I said, please let me get my hands on it. I said, I know exactly what to do with this, this entire you know, organization. She let me get on there. And we restructurized it and we saw it thrive and it ended up getting congressional uh, recognition. It got Senate uh, recognition. We created the first youth diversion program while we were inside. And she was so grateful to us that we ended up having a really big uh, appreciation. So I constantly want to get behind programs that either need to be revitalized or programs that need to be built out and launched and scaled. Same thing happened with Impact Justice. I, I begged President Alex Buzanski, let me get my hands on this homecoming project. I know what to do with it. And six months later, we launched and have placed 70 more people into housing throughout Alameda County and Contra Costa County. And so getting behind ideas, the vision that you can, all of you guys created was so in alignment with my purpose in life. I think I have to make that very, very clear. It's my purpose in life to really situate myself and provide resources, guidance, and to empower people to thrive. That's it, right? That's like, if I can do that on a daily basis, it's not work. It's my path. It's my purpose. Um, But what's very unique about the Ready for Life program is normally social justice organizations, criminal justice reform organizations specialize in one thing and they do it well, right? Whether it's housing, whether it's employment development, whether it's job placement, whether it's job training, whether it is all these variety of different things in the reentry case management, CROP was so daring to envision something even bolder, which was keeping this in comprehensive whole person care that's individualized, not a cookie cutter approach to services, which is how there's such a large disconnect in California. And don't get me wrong, I'm not cutting up CDCR for their efforts. I know it's a big mammoth of mm-hmm. a of a project with our mass incarceration and people getting released. There's going to be a level of disconnect that we are now so bold and courageous to fix. And it has to all be under one umbrella. It has to all be one system so that everyone's able to get the services that they need and not fall through the gaps and recidivate. Absolutely. Well, Ken, thank you for recommending uh, Tara. Uh, It's been great working with her over the last three months. We look forward to the future. Um, You're at Checker now. And um, would you you share, um, we're going to go into a little one-on-one with uh, Tara in a minute here, but I want our audience made up of formerly incarcerated people family members and loved ones of formerly of incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people and also people in the social justice, uh, restorative justice, criminal justice reform movement. Checker's doing some amazing things. Would you talk about your role there, what you're doing today? Sure. And how people could find, uh, find out more. I appreciate that, Rich. I think there's not much difference between what I'm doing at Checker versus what I was doing at CROP. I think it's just on a different scale. Um, Checker is a background check company, but their mission since I was in prison when they first came in with Defy Ventures has been fair chance hiring. Um, Checker has dedicated currently 6% of their workforce or people that did time in prison, which is trend setting and and torch bearing for a tech company. 
uh, in the Bay Area. And so, you know, their success, they had so much success over the last five or six years and they've had hyper growth that they wanted to create a, a philanthropic arm, a foundation to really turn their mission into a movement across this country. So I've been tasked with leading Checker into the national spotlight for a fair chance, um, hiring and convincing other businesses, which, you know, I love to do rich, um, mm -hmm. to start fair chance hiring programs. And so, you know, I get to now, you know, talk to a lot of different CEOs from different companies. I just was on a call yesterday with Redfin, one of the biggest online real estate groups in the country. They want to start a fair chance hiring program to get formerly incarcerated people into the real estate business and have jobs right. ready for them now. So uh, that's the work I'm doing and, you know, working with mission partners still crop is one of our closest mission partners and, you know, um, being able to find opportunities for once crop leaders graduate um, from the program, we'll be able to create job opportunities for them and get other tech companies to be able to uh, take crop leaders and other uh, programs who have uh, trained people into economic mobility and, and livable wage jobs. That's right. Well, thank you for um, uh, staying on our board uh, as a co-chair. <laughs> you can't get rid of me that easy, Rich. <laughs> and also uh, just being a part of uh, giving of your life. This is like our life's work, like Terry mentioned, our purpose. Giving of your life. What, what's it going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And um, for people coming out and being treated like you've always talked about with dignity as human beings. That's right. And... Um, we never lost our value. That's where we were. That's not who we are. And um, that's the past. And people shouldn't be continuously be defined by their past, that's right. but by the character they live by today and for living for causes greater than themselves. I'm so thankful to have this first part of our conversation with you, two wonderful people who live for causes greater than yourselves as a natural expression of who you are. So, Ken, uh, we want you to come back. And uh, share Appreciate that, you, share Rich. your life story and transformation story. Appreciate you. And because uh, I believe it's going to add a lot of value to people, um, especially those with family members who have loved ones in their 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years in solitary confinement and can wonder, um, is my loved one ever going to get out? Is it possible to become like Ken? Sure. Um, as or Rich or yeah, Tara. Yeah, or Tara. Right? yeah as, yep. as uh, Ted says, you know, we don't want you to think that we're some extraordinary people or special or that anybody can do what Absolutely. we do with yeah. the Absolutely. opportunity. That's right. Absolutely. Thanks That's Rich. Right. I appreciate you, Tara. It's great to see you again. I know you're going to do wonderful things with crop. Thank Looking you. forward to working with you. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And uh, we're back here with Tara Lawyer. I think I just uh, dropped your Coke under the table. <laughs> but That's we're all right. right. Nobody all can right. see that. It's under the table. Um, Tara, like I said, our team, our new team at Crop Organizations, super excited to have you on as our leader, um, as our executive director, visionary, just being able to work with you in the last three months. I've really appreciated your uh, authentic uh, leadership, servant leadership, humble style, the way you connect with us, the way you care about us. There's an old John Maxwell quote that says, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. I knew that immediately from you. Um, I got sick recently with my wife uh, right after Christmas with bronchitis. And, um, we know, we've been uh, pretty driven here over the last uh, few years and haven't really taken too much time off uh, doing this work that we love. But um, you said something to me that was really meaningful. You said, um, I'm going to do something for you that somebody did for me at one time that was a, uh, an employer. And you said that uh, I'm ordering you to take the week off to rest and to get ready. And that meant a lot to me and to my wife and family because it, it, it told me that you um, cared about my well-being. And um, 
And I appreciate that. We appreciate that. And I think that with leaders who love their people, um, we're going to go a long way. I have full confidence in you and in, and in that, in the mission work, of course, but in the way that you care about people. To me, that uh, is of primary importance. And I just wanted to start off by telling, um, sharing with our audience. And I shared a minute ago who our audience is, but sharing with them, you know, where did that heart come from for you? I think um, all the way back to when I was young and I've always been drawn towards individuals who are differently able. Um, and I would say the first population or the first group that I was drawn to was individuals in the deaf community. Mm. And I didn't want people to treat them differently because they were differently abled. Um, and so I wanted to connect with them. Yeah. So I began doing classes for American Sign Language and found that it's less about um, putting people who are different from you over there or ostracizing them, but finding a way to create a bridge to connect to them. Yeah. And so that was pretty much a really foundational moment in my growth um, that really informs my own values as a person. Fast forward, I get impacted by my own poor choices and become incarcerated. And less about looking at others incarcerated with me and doing what normally people do, which is sort of create a hierarchy of social classes and they are them or by race or by class or by education. I wanted to find that common ground where we were all connecting and we were all hurting. Mm -hmm. You know, we all made a choice that we were living in the consequences and I'm pretty much confident throughout my 15 years of understanding now that everyone that was in prison did not get there by being their best selves. Right. They were unhealthy mm -hmm. at a moment in their life, whether it was from past trauma, whether it was from under the influence of drugs or alcohol, mm -hmm. whether it was a mental illness that had gone untreated. And you think about what happens inside of prison is a culture that's very punitive and not healing or empowering. Mm -hmm. And a very pivotal moment of recognizing this happened when I went to Nor uh, Norway and Finland oh. on a prison tour to really evaluate and assess and observe how in the world did this country, you know, reduce their prison population in half of the, the time and, and, and what is it going on here? And it was so human centered that I thought it was a smokescreen. Wow. And I ended up having a moment where I needed to go into the bathroom and just weep for the, lack of humanity we have in our prison systems mm -hmm. and the lack of humanity that we have in our culture. We're very punitive culture. You think about a child who does something wrong. What does the parent do? They either take something away from them, right? Or they put them on timeout. And we do that to our adults, both in yeah. bold. And I think about the investment in people and how many of the people that were in prison did not have someone investing in them. Mm -hmm. 
right? And yet, after a certain age, when you become an adult, there's a lot less interested parties willing to invest in you for success. Yeah. And that's got to change. How are we going to advance as a species if we do not pull and carry each other forward with true forms of equity principles and equal access to the services that are specific to their needs. So you ask me, why do I have this this approach? It's because you have to be good to yourself and to others. You have to be kind to yourself and to others. The same expectation that you have you have to double it. You can't let others' outward-facing circumstances dictate who you're going to be in character. You have to represent that character on the road when you experience a really poor driver or a road rage. It has to be incorporated in every aspect of your life, professionally and you know, through leisure time activities. And I truly believe specifically as a formerly incarcerated professional who served 15 years inside where all the job assignments inside of prison pay you pennies to work for hours and there are no sick days. There are no vacation days. You will be punished if you don't show up to work. This strong consideration informs my work that formerly incarcerated professionals do not know how to take care of themselves right. in this real professional world, right? This modern professional um, society. And so how do we change the workplace to encourage health and wellness, self-care, self-reflection, mental health, wellness as well, we have to revolutionize it. And yeah. again, right, we just, we just talked about, I think it was Norway or Finland, one of those um, are testing the, the four-day workday, right? Now, that, that might be daring. We have a lot more work to do here <laughs> yeah, in, right. in, in America right. before we can explore that. But I but, like the way you think. But, but <laughs> in all honesty, yeah. we have to really look at how we are meeting people where they're at. Right. And it, it's going to take time, but little bit by little bit, we're going to advance this. So that's my approach. Yeah. And there's a uh, couple things that stick out to me by you sharing that. Uh, the first is um, I think about the freedom that we're offering people through leadership development, digital and financial literacy, housing, uh, stipends along the way, and careers where they can earn a livable, livable wage. That's a form of freedom, but you're talking about also, um, and maybe that is crop organization, secret sauce, offering another form of freedom. I, I like to say I had to get free on the inside yep. before I ever got free on the outside. Yep. You're talking about offering a mindset um, mm-hmm. where you live as a natural expression of who you are, yep. caring about yourself and caring about others. Yep. Um, sadly, a lot of people don't live their lives that way. Um, it's certainly not the prison systems model, which is, you know, the punishment model versus yep. the investing model. It's a reactionary. Yep. Uh, uh, it's a reactionary approach. And um, and when a person begins to live 
uh, caring for themselves and caring for others as a nat- natural expression of who they are, right? There's a new type of freedom that you seem to exude, experience, and that is a result of um, of living that way. It's so empowering, and that's really even more special than uh, the jobs or the lit- digital and financial literacy in some ways. It's priceless. It's priceless. It's just like our time, right? right? It can only be spent. It cannot be kept. And I think it can only be given away, right? Right. Now, one thing that I love to sort of do in an exercise when I'm teaching is the concept of money and power. And if you had all the money in the world, right, what would you do with it? There's an underlining philosophy even if you had all the power in the world, what would you do with it? It comes down to the freedom of choice. And that's what we need to be empowering people with is more freedom in their choices mm-hmm. instead of limiting them in a box and saying, this is how you need to be. This is how you need to perform. We need to expand their horizons by creating more resources and more opportunities for their selection to be more specific to, you know, that internal rewards. And then they will perform in such a way that makes them stars in their own life. Yeah, We don't see that much. We see you're limited to entry-level jobs. You're limited into getting a higher education. Restrictions on this, restrictions on that. Licensures are limited and a variety of different other things. When we open up a door, we're just creating more freedoms and choices people can make for themselves. Yeah. Um, I like to share in my reentry story, every, I went to 30 different apartment complexes and they said, do you have two years of uh, renter history? Do you have a year of um, pay stubs? Are you a felon? And um, do you have a 640 credit score above? I had none of that. Um, someone had stolen my identity, had a terrible score and didn't have those things. So they, pre- they pretty much said, well, you, you pretty much, um, shouldn't even fill out the paperwork because you're going to be denied. So what do I do? You know, I'm out here with a job, uh, 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 nearly having a master's degree and ready to work, ready to thrive, ready to be a responsible citizen, but I can't find a place to live. Um, so that ties into the next uh, quote. Uh, I wrote down something that you shared recently. You shared um, uh, that you're honored and excited to work alongside my team at CROP to provide our justice-involved brothers and sisters with new opportunities to engage in meaningful, livable wage work and thrive within the community. Tara, why is it important for you? Uh, I mean, you were doing great at, at Impact Justice. I mean, amazing uh, visionary idea. When I first heard it, I'm like, oh, that's uh, th- that's happening, right? It's, it's amazing for family members to offer a room to people first getting out. Um, and... Um, and um, I think the public would think, oh, that's dangerous. But you think, no, it's safe. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And then to come over here and take on this, uh, uh, you know, gargantuan effort at crop. You know, why is it important for you were to help people get that, you know, like Ken shared earlier, that holistic um, program where the mindset, the digital literacy, financial literacy, jobs, careers, and all the implementation process. So why is that like you? Why are you passionate about that? It's paramount. It makes our community safer. It makes families closer, creates family reunification. It creates a pathway into more success for the community beyond the person that's formerly incarcerated. 
You talk about the ripple effect of crime. This is the ripple effect of amends. This is how we repair our communities. This is how the voices of those who have been impacted by their own poor choices and incarceration can give back to the communities that are still struggling with crime. This is where they can speak to the youth that are at risk and say, do not make that choice. This is really the reality of what that choice can lead to. Absolutely. Let me show you something different. Because every person that I've seen any CBO and organization invest into, something happens in them and they turn around and invest in their community. Mm-hmm. They turn right back around and give it back and pay it forward. And the ripple effect takes place in such a phenomenal way that even researchers can't wrap their brain around right. it. This is when you're talking about the human-centered piece. Yeah. When I look at you and I do approach you with more curiosity than judgment. Thank you. Right? I'm curious as to what makes Richard tick. I'm curious as to what makes anyone tick because the curiosity keeps me open for learning, keeps me open for solutions to any of their problems that they may be experiencing. And it makes us think innovatively in ways that are not based on tradition because traditionally we've failed in various different ways. And so how do we think outside the box? You have to be radical. You have to be a little daring. You have to be audacious. And in order to do these various different things, you have to be around a team of individuals who believe in something beyond themselves. Okay, that's awesome. So let's talk about that audacious uh, unpacking of this program over the last year. For a lot of people don't know, I mean, on our show, on the Prison Post, we definitely interview um, transformational. We interview formerly incarcerated people and currently incarcerated people, have them share their transformational stories. And like I shared earlier, people in the movement who are making a difference. But um, we sometimes unpack um, what we do at CROP. But I'd like to invite Tara to unpack what we'll be doing over the next year um, in in the Bay Area in L.A., if that's okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. This is this is the exciting part, All right? Because right. um, we're not just speaking about vision; we put action behind it. Oh, we've been busy. <laughs> we've been busy. Right. Um, so we are excited this year to launch the most signature historic program in California. Um, we've identified a building that we are currently getting painted into crop colors and um, it's going to be our career campus in Oakland. Um, We'll have housing for 50 individuals. And on the second floor of this incredible building is four different large classrooms, office space for all of our educators and staff members, um, a full-on commercial kitchen to provide meals, a gym, two outdoor spaces, um, and You know, it's just amazing how when these doors open, the connections and the point of entry, working with federal probationers, uh, county probation officers, state parole agents, correctional counselors inside of the prisons, transitional housing programs that have individuals that will be interested in the programs such as this, they're going to have an opportunity to take 12 months and really focus on themselves. Right. We're talking about personal leadership development for the first three months, professional skills development, 
financial literacy, digital literacy, everything you need to know to shift your mind from whatever that institution taught you right. that is that is backward thinking and toxic and really become become healthy and prepared before we enter into that skills building, right? Where they choose a career track that is going to give them an incredible pathway into livable wage employment yeah. um, before we lead them on to housing for life. And that's that permanent housing piece, working with a lot of property management companies and apartment complexes and housing affordability and HUD and the, the, the menu is going to be wide and large so that we can have something specific for each person. I say this all the time. The only thing in common formerly incarcerated people have is that we're formerly incarcerated. My right. circumstances are unique. Your circumstances yep. are unique. I cannot ever give someone a cookie cutter approach towards reentry. That's not going to serve them. I don't want to give them services that don't apply to them when that right. could be used for someone in need. I want us to find a way to set up a model that people can navigate through it with the freedom of choice. Right. That's awesome. Um, Tara, maybe the, the 30 second to a minute versions of what do you mean, right? They're generalizations, digital literacy, financial literacy, career training, you know, um, oh, do you mean truck driving? Do you mean um, getting behind a computer and learning, um, you know, um, some type of software? So maybe unpack each of those um, types of trainings that they will receive because it's not just uh, you know willy-nilly it's sort of some state-of-the-art type stuff that yeah we're talking UX design right we're talking product management we're talking the current industry trends and in the tech sector for individuals that need these certifications our our entire associates and leaders will be getting that they'll be being able to be streamlined right into the talent pool that is currently out there Right. And we're thinking really creatively about how do we bring on some of the efforts that Ken just mentioned earlier about fair chance hiring practices with our employer development and educating them on DEI and how do you work with the population and how do you incorporate them in. Um, we're thinking of every various different way to incentivize employers to choose our pool of talent who oftentimes gets pushed in the back of the of the line to bring them forward and give them a chance because studies show formerly incarcerated employees are some of the hardest working Absolutely. employees. They are some of the longest lasting employees yep. that go above and beyond because they have a lot to prove. And so we're excited for this work. Yeah. And maybe I'm out of the loop, but uh, I don't know of another organization that actually hired a director of employer development to go and have the conversation. It's like when I first got out, oh, you can take this training. But after that, you're on your own to find a job. Yeah. Um, we're not just leaving you on your own to find a job. We are actively working to to find you the employment. And we have a director of employer development that is going to go out to hundreds of employers in the tech industry and help them shift their narrative and discover why it would be even far more advantageous to hire you, yeah. uh, somebody who's formerly incarcerated us, than... Um, then, um, then, then just being stuck with this um, stigma of people coming out of prison yes. who don't want to work or just drug addicts. Yeah. I mean, I haven't used drugs in 20, uh, going to be 22 years in June. So I'm definitely not that guy. Yep. Um, and um, so, and then also with the, we actually will have Google uh, trainers on site. 
when we talk about financial literacy, you're not getting a book like, you know, when I was in prison the last three months are like, here, here's learn about how to check, do a checking account and savings account. And it's this thick old book that I'm, I'm, I'm like, I got three weeks out. I'm trying to read that book. Right. You know, I'll figure it out later. Right. But we'll have actual bankers. Right. On site. Right. And what's interesting and not interesting, what is phenomenal is that our financial literacy coursework isn't just a book, like you said, that you read. We actually put it into practice. So our associates and leaders will be getting a stipend every month. They'll have their own bank account set up with a checking account and a debit card. They'll have a secured credit card so that they can build credit while they're with us, right? They'll have a savings account. So a portion can be set aside for them in preparation for independent living. It's awesome. Right? All of these various different things is set up for success. We don't want to just teach you digital literacy. We want you to have your own laptop so you can learn digital literacy. So they'll get their own laptop. Yes. Do you understand? So it's, it's, you get your own room, you get your own stipend, you get your own housing. And then we're going to be launching in LA as well. There won't be a housing component. But we know that there's individuals who are going to want all of these different services while they're living in the community. That's awesome. And, and that's a, a three-year vision? This is three years, four years, five years, 10 years, okay. 20 years. What, 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 what are some of your uh, ideas for five years, 10 years down the line uh, for crop and uh, people coming out? Yep, yep. So one of the things is we envision a data analytics platform that is going to connect all of the reentry service providers with the California Department of Corrections, the county probation offices, and make sure that no one falls through the cracks so that we can really look at this data and aggregate it properly. It's currently skewed. It's reported. It's, it's in siloed. It's reported really haphazardly and to our own detriment. This is why we have encampments in Los Angeles, encampments in Oakland. If you're formerly incarcerated, you're 10 times more likely to become homeless. We've seen it time and time again. You give someone housing, you give them the resources that they need, and they most likely will thrive and blow your mind. So it's it's not even a matter of question at this point. It's a matter of practice. Absolutely. And we're ready to do it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love that. Crop gave me an opportunity to make a livable wage. And I think about being able to give money to my sister and her kids for uh, kids for who are all in elementary school for their school supplies, for their school clothes. And um, and my parents, they visit me six to eight weeks, every six to eight weeks while I was incarcerated. There's no way I could ever pay them back for all that they did and all that they are to me. But um, I was able to, as a gift, I wanted to pay their mortgage one month and I was able to send them that and bring all kinds of Christmas gifts over the holidays. And why would I ever want to go back when I can do beautiful things like that? Versus if I was struggling in a minimum wage job, it it would be very difficult for me to do that. So Tara, um, you know, we got a couple more minutes here, but love your heart, love your heart for people. Um, I believe that we're going to really leave a legacy of, um, transform lives. You know, we don't want anybody to go back and we want to provide all that they, all that they'll need to not go back and whatever needs that we discover along the way that may be missing, like some of those long-term effects of being incarcerated for so long, we want to meet those as well. And, um, so it's just awesome having you here. Thank you so much. And don't forget setting the stage to ensure that nobody else goes in. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. We got to save our youth. Yep. Invest in them as well. Breaking up the school to prison pipeline. Exactly. Yep. It's important. I had one last question for you and I don't want to, it shouldn't be last. Um, um, but as a, as a formerly incarcerated woman, um, and now leader of this organization, what, what, what's your message for other formerly incarcerated women that are coming out, um, who can do things like you do? Um, and then the last thing would be, um, who, who can add value to the world, do what you do? Um, you know, Whenever we think about or talk about prison, from my experience, you know, I'm all over social media and all these different groups all the time. Most of the time it's focused around men. Um, most of the time the programs, the housing, everything's focused around men. Um, our program will be for uh, men and women. Um, so um, what's what's the you're an inspirational woman leader but and, and as a leader as well. But what's the message that you might have for them? And then lastly, if you would talk to the camera for those watching this on the inside, uh, the brothers and sisters still incarcerated getting out wondering if could this be possible for me to be successful? What would you say to them? Yeah, I think first and foremost, women are the backbones of our families, right? Um, and oftentimes when a woman is incarcerated, it tears at the fabric of a family. Absolutely. And... Because the ratio to women to men is very different, right? Um, more men are incarcerated than women. There's less resources that are specific to women needs. And so how do we approach services to where they're equally distributed with a lens of sensitivity towards women needs we do that one person at a time. And when it comes to any formal, formally incarcerated leaders, I believe that it is important to not just think big, but to dream and to plan. And usually what's... Um, a great sign of that is sit back and analyze what bothers you. When you look out your window, when you read or watch TV, those issues in our society that nag at you or keep you up at night, instead of complaining about it or being angry about it or judgmental. You have something in you that's calling for a solution to be developed. Mm -hmm. And once that solution, no matter how crazy and ridiculous it is, you don't stop talking about that solution until you find the people aligned with that particular mission to come on board. Because mission aligned people find each other. And that's how Crop found me and I found Crop. That's right. Is we were mission aligned. And I encourage all formerly incarcerated people um, to do the same, to lead your heart's work forward. Find your mission and find your people. Find your mission, find your people. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for being on the Prison Post, Tara. Look forward to having you again in the future. It's been You're, an honor. Um, 
uh, I look forward to your leadership and to the way we're going to tra- transform lives and heal communities. I appreciate you, Richard. So this has been another uh, episode of the Prison Post. Uh, you can find us on all of your um, podcasting uh, platforms. We're there. Um, and also on YouTube. Please leave us a like. Hit that red subscribe button. Um, and if you know somebody who's like us and wants to be a guest or you're making a difference in this in these fields, uh, reach out to me. Give me a call. Um, you can find us and reach out to us at croporganization.org on our website. Hit that contact page. If you'd like to support our work, hit the donate button. Um, it's, it, takes a, it takes a lot of work, takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of funding. So um, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.